0: Hey, it's Jonathan. I'm seriously jazzed. We're about a week away now. I know, I know. You've been hearing me talk about my new book, How to Live a Good Life, for a handful of weeks now in the start of every episode. And there's a reason for it. I've been asked recently, why did you write it? And the reason I really wrote it is because I want it to matter. We're at a point in the world where there are a lot of people suffering. There are a lot of people who can't figure out how to stand in their potential And I would love for the book to become a tool to help you move from a place of stifled potential, of stifled identity, of not really understanding how to get what you need out of the world, to feeling like, yeah, at least I have some guidance, and then I actually have something to do. The book gives you something to do, and that is what really matters to me. So if you're interested in learning more, you can download the first chapter completely for free. You don't need an email or anything at goodlifeproject.com slash book if you pre-order before the 18th the publication date also all sorts of really fun cool bonuses and you can help us plant trees in our quest to plant 10,000 trees a good life forest so again more info at goodlifeproject.com slash book or just click the link in the show notes today now on to our show
1: can you just stay curious just a little bit longer and a rush to advice and action just a little more slowly. And it's going to make such a big difference for everybody involved. I've known this week's guest, Michael Bunga-Stanier, for
0: quite a while now. And he's got a new book out called The Coaching Habit. And at first, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm not really a coach. Maybe this doesn't really apply to me. And I started talking to him about it, and then I actually read it, and I realized... This is not a book for coaches. In fact, it's a summary of his entire philosophy, pretty much of life. And what he's done is he's essentially taken the seven most important questions that anybody could ask pretty much anybody else when you're, when you're looking to be of service in a really powerful way and share them in, in the order that it's most intelligent to ask them also. And what I realized is that this is actually an astonishingly powerful tool not just for coaching, but for being in a relationship with anybody, for mentoring, for guiding, for helping, for playing any sort of leadership role. I found it really powerful. But this conversation is not all about the book. We do touch on it towards the end. This conversation goes deep into some really powerful ideas around how to get the most out of life, around how to build things, around how to handle adversity. And we also share a little bit of intersecting backstories. So Michael is uh, one of my favorite people. He's insanely wise and funny and humble. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. I'm Jonathan Fields and this is Good Life Project.
2: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. We're hanging out here at Good Life Project HQ on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Which is awesome. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bright, shiny orange table. Very bright. It's designed to create happiness. I feel happy. Thanks, man.
1: I came in sad. I don't know why I'm happy. It's kind of a gray day outside. (laughs) It's It's like the antidote. It all works, (laughs)
0: man. And we've known each other, what, do you even remember how we met? Was it through Pam or something like that?
1: Probably Pam Slim. She's, right, the, right, great she's connector. the connector. Right? <laughs> like, all, all like
0: every relationship in some way points back like to Pam Slim. She's
1: the Eve of, of this they're generation. Right. It's like everybody comes from around. I'm ninth generation Pam Slim. That's how I describe <laughs> myself.
0: <laughs> Four degrees of separation. Ninth generation. Twice removed.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but a long time. It feels like we've kind of walked walk paths together for it quite dives, a while. It right?
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. We were like, so
1: young when we met. Now, uh, with gray and uh, bags under my you eyes. You have gray. At <laughs> least you have hair. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, it's so kind of fun just to see how There's sort of a group of us that I kind of see as sort of moving into the world in a similar way at around a similar time and how everyone's really just kind of gone off and done similar things in one way, but also really profoundly different things in a lot of different ways.
1: Well, I think what's interesting in part is watching us find focus. I mean, that's one of the cool things about you. Talk,
0: Yeah, tell me more about that. What do you mean by that?
1: You know, Jim Collins, You know he's, he's written 18 books, all that sound They're all like the same title. They're like good to great, goodish to greatish, <laughs> the road to good goodness via greatness. I mean, they're all kind of the same, but he, he has a gift for metaphor. And he, when talking about strategy, he was saying, look, the way you figure out what to do is you fire bullets and then you fire cannonballs. Mm. Bullets are kind of low risk experiments, tested out, trying to find where the target is. But yeah. then when you find the target, that's when you fire the cannonball. And I think his point is, for too many people, they fire the cannonball too early. They're like, here it is. I've got an idea. I'm just going to commit everything. And then that's kind of miserable. Or they never have the courage to fire the cannonball. They never go, oh, I've got the target. This is the thing. I'm just too scared to -hmm. commit. And I look, you know, I've seen all sorts of iterations of Jonathan Fields' shop. There's jonathanfields.com where you had that slightly scary photo of you, kind of like <laughs> <laughs> overly intense eyes going on under stubble or something. And then you did the, the writers, the tribe, the writing right. tribe piece. And there's been other things that you've done. there a lot of iterations there. Yeah, you've yeah. done a bunch of things. And then it just feels like with Good Life Project you've found a you found a home mm. like you found a center and I know you you can't help but experiment around that and do cool yeah sub brands of that, but it feels like in in g l p there's just something you've landed there, and I love yeah. that, and I feel that's the same with other people we know who've done, they're kind of like, I tried a bunch of things, but they kind of, they circle, 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 and they seem to be landing on something important to them.
0: Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And I love that analogy also, the Jim Collins analogy. I never really um, heard it said that way, but it makes it so visual and makes it so much like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Right. And then, and it seems like you've done the same thing also in a certain way with Box of Crayons yeah. and sort of like the bigger brand and the the body of intellectual property built around yeah.
1: it. Well, that's true. I mean, I mean, I kind of stumbled into this whole thing (laughs) accidentally. I mean, a mutual friend of ours, Scott Stratton. So I don't remember if you remember what Scott did before he became the unmarketing guy. He
0: was the the video-making
1: guy. He was the video guy, right? right? He kind of created this cool video about time, which, you know, was a a bit cliched, but hugely successful. Right, was massive viral hit. And I was like, well, I've met Scott Stratton. If he can do it, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out Scott, out to you, Scott, we love yeah, you Yeah, we, are, exactly. we do love Scott So I did this little video called The Eight Irresistible Principles of Fun And yeah. it was a little animated And it just kind of blew up yeah. And I it, it, got, it got tweeted by Tim Ferriss Which was like you know, right. a, a little starstruck moment Is that still
0: up by the way? Can we link yeah, to that? Yeah, that's, that's right, around cool. somewhere Because um, that, that was one of the first things That I remember seeing you And I was like, ah, oh, this is just awesome And I started sharing it like crazy Right, also.
1: right So That kind of accidentally pushed me into this whole world of self-development and self-help because I actually created that because I'd been inspired by another guy called the the Strategic Coach. Ah, I can't remember his name, but he's basically- Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I saw Dan Sullivan speak and he said, look, here's the way to become successful. One, you know, one, one route it's about how you identify yourself. And he said, look, pretend you're a dentist. You start off claiming to be a dentist. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but you are your profession. Then you shift to becoming an entrepreneur who practices dentistry. And that's actually quite a radical shift because you understand that it's about marketing and selling and building a business, not just doing the technical skill. And then you're like, I'm an entrepreneur who creates intellectual property around dentistry. Mm. And when you create intellectual property, then, you be, then you're able to scale. Then you're able to have more impact. And I was like, oh, that's great. Oh, if only I had intellectual property. <laughs> oh, man, I seem to have signed up to give a talk. I was giving a talk to some coaches in Toronto. It's like in a car. Yeah I, yeah, I was giving a talk about why people should create intellectual property, and I didn't have any IP of my own. Aye. So in about, in about 20 minutes, I sat down and I just wrote something called The Eight Irresistible Principles of Fun, it's one of those things where you go. That was a that was lightning in a bottle. So right? that was
0: just like that one of those channeling moments. Yeah, it was where just twenty like minutes where I down. just
1: went bang, and I was like, "That's pretty good."
0: It's amazing because when you look at it, it's like, "Oh, this he must have been working on this for a long right. time."
1: <laughs> no, I you know. I spent eighteen years trying to recreate that moment. Nothing, nothing. I'm like, "How about this? Yeah, I know. It's it's almost the same, but it's not nearly as good." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we started off in in that space, and I. Box of Crowns came along as a name, which was really, again, I was giving it. this is how I work, yeah. under panic, right? I'm giving a talk to a bunch of coaches about the importance of branding, Right, so I invented Michael's three laws of branding, and my company name failed all three of my own laws, so I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I've got, I've like got six weeks to come up with a better name, and I went through a bunch of them. I was going to call myself Espresso Coaching at one stage, because I'm like, Espresso It's like... Italy and chic and right, ciao bella and, yeah, exactly, kind of endless, effortlessly cool. Right. All that sort got stuff, the
0: hipster thing. Right. Guy.
1: So, I email my friends, like, okay, espresso coaching, what do you think? And they were right back going, You know, when I think of espresso, I think it's expensive, bitter, doesn't last very long, <laughs> stains your teeth, <laughs> right. drunken by pretentious people. I was like, oh, that's, Okay, that's not that's it, that's not what I was going <laughs> for. But then when Box of Crayon showed up, I was like, Again, it was like, Oh, that's. That's just a great name. Yeah. But, you know, we've gone through a whole bunch of things trying to go, are we doing self-help? Are we not doing – are we doing business-focused? And now we're just landed on this place where we're a training company. Right. Again, surprising because I'm pretty skeptical of most training. And we're really focused on giving practical coaching skills to busy managers so they can coach in 10 minutes or less.
0: Yeah. And this is completely personal, so because it's a personal <laughs> well, I curiosity never saw that for coming, me. Right? In a right. GLP
1: interview, <laughs> um,
0: no, but it's about me, man, not you. <laughs> right, like, right, 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 right. I want to benefit from what from right. what you just said because. You know, you said it's personal development. You know, it's it's self help. Yeah. And it's funny because when I actually think of you, those aren't the 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 words that I associate with. I think of you, I'm like, okay, really smart business process, sort of like mining and and revealing human potential. But and within the context right. of work, right? Are are you? And what's interesting is so, so, with Good Life Project, I've kind of started to step into this umbrella of like quote. Uh, personal development, self help, and I really struggle with right. that moniker. I'm, and you just sort of like own that as as you. Are you comfortable with that?
1: Not hugely, yeah. just because it's such a f- it's. There's so much bad stuff mm. <laughs> in this space, you know, stuff that's kind of mushy or pastel coloured or or just. So what I want, what I love, is stuff that has rigor. But stuff that has lightness as well Mm. i want i want a joy and a lightness and a fun to it and (laughs) so well here's a story that probably sums this up so five or six years ago i was more in i was coaching i was part of the icf the international coach federation i went to speak at their big national meeting and i came up with this thing called the five unspeakable truths about coaching (laughs) and it was all about this i'm going to talk about the dark side of coaching because when you get together these conferences and while there are many wonderful you know people who are coaches and who I know and I love and we know and we love, you know, Karen Wright, everybody else, these conferences I found overwhelming because it was a little kind of self-congratulatory about how wonderful we all are. Look how enlightened we are. And it didn't feel like there was that quite enough people doing the work mm-hmm. to mine the mess, <laughs> which is the interesting place. So we did this thing called the Five Unspeakable Truths about coaching. You know, things like you know, I hate my clients. <laughs> I, I get bored by my clients. I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing some of the time. Not that this is the whole truth. It's just some of the truth some of the time. Yeah, and you know yeah, the unspeakable whole, part. Yeah, and that whole Jungian piece about the gold is in the dark. You know the the if when you find a way to embrace the shadow side, you become more whole. You mm-hmm. know that that Jung quote: "I'd rather be whole than good." I love that. You know, it's like Brené Brown and all that sort of stuff about. Embrace that the vulnerability and the messiness of it. Anyway, long story short, it all, we had a little bit of a tempest in a teacup with the ICF because they weren't happy about that whole <laughs> that whole process. The board got up and walked out halfway through. It was a, it was a bit of a mess, Aye. but that, to me, when this self-help stuff is is not at its best, it's when it's it doesn't have the willingness to look hard at itself but also treat itself with lightness and a sense of humor so but on the other hand i mean when it comes down to it we you me lots of the people we know and love are in this business of going how do we how do we live a good life yeah you know how do we show up and do live a life that has meaning to us but also has impact in the world and makes a difference and yeah you what you kind of want it to transcend the the, the self help ghetto because that can be a bit of a, a less rewarding place yeah, to, label and, to get stuck with
0: you know and and maybe that quote ghetto exists in almost every profession but it does seem that the the self help um, world the uh, personal development self- whatever name you want it has a reputation um, for for a certain type of person a certain type mm-hmm. of approach and what's interesting for for me is i've i've always just felt like i'm so not that person. And and if that that person and that approach resonates and actually, you know, like touches down and helps somebody else, God bless. Right. You know, but it's just – it doesn't resonate with me as an individual as who I am or my lens on the world or the approach that I bring to problem solving and serving. So, I've always – and it was interesting. My overlay is that, well, the entire industry has that particular association. And I don't really want to be associated with it. And I right. had to get comfortable lately with the idea that when it comes down to it, I've been – What I started to realize last year was that, you know, if you look at my LinkedIn, you know, entrepreneurship and strategy are the things where I have all the endorsements. But what I realized was that, yeah, I do like entrepreneurship. I like making things. But what I really love about it is that it's a stunning canvas and gauntlet for revealing and expressing and improving the human condition. Right. And so I'm really just using it as a lever. Right. You know, but what I'm really interested in is human potential. And when it comes down to it, that means I'm part of this world. I just it's the idea of I'm trying to get comfortable right now of carving out my own definition within that space.
1: So who the in that space, who the people you admire and who seem to transcend
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's sort of two ends of the spectrum. I'm very science-based, but I'm very spiritually open. I'm not super metaphysically wired but so what i'm drawn to always on the one end of the spectrum is applied positive psychology right very like i'm constantly devouring right. papers academic papers right. and talking to researchers and practitioners because i love to see science validated processes that have replicable exactly. outcomes exactly that's awesome right you know i'm, I'm less interested in hey let's you know try this thing where i you know it's worked here and there but there's no there's no validation right then the other side of the spectrum and i'm curious where you fall with this also so i want you to answer the same question is thousands of year old eastern philosophy mm-hmm. buddhism is something i'm very drawn to what i found is that my experience has been increasingly as i know more and more about each is that a lot of positive psychology is fundamentally just the scientific validation of Buddhist practices.
1: Right, <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's why the Dalai Lama is going, yeah, yeah. let's test right. this stuff. Yeah. And if it's, if you show me it's scientifically wrong, I'm happy to change my mind on it. Right, which
0: is what I love about it. It's right. not like this is the gospel, is dogma, you shall yeah. follow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how would you answer that same question?
1: So the thing that rings my bells are elegant models that have been shown to work. Mm. So, and I get pulled in all sorts of places. Like, you know, I love the periodic table. It's <laughs> I mean, weird, but it's like for, for years I had the periodic table as my shower curtains just because I just love the elegance That's of it. Awesome. It's, it's like I just love how it works. It's like how did you figure all that out? It's amazing. <laughs> but then you look at things like, and I love models that 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 work with the complexity of the human condition rather than reduce it to here are the eight steps. Yeah. So, when I think about change, for instance, there's a, there's an approach to change in this world called positive deviance. Chip and Dan Heath talk about it briefly in their book. The guy who started it, I mean, it's a great story. He, he, he was leading a non-profit, I think, in Asia somewhere. It was all about trying to deal with uh, impoverished children. He's American. The Americans have done something to annoy the government, whichever government it was, and they basically went right. You got six months to sort out, in, you know, um, impoverished children, or you're out. Aye. And he's like, "Oh man, we've been here for forty years. We haven't made a dent yet. What's, what are we going to do in six months?" But here's what he did. He went round to the vi- the various villages, and he just weighed children. He just weighed them, and what he found was in every village there were some kids who were not malnourished. So not malnourished, and he's like, "That's so weird. Why? The, why do these kids?" somehow flourish when others struggle. And what he found was that the parents of those children were doing things that were deviant from the norm, but positively deviant. So that you know, they as far as I can remember, that they they washed their hands more, they fed their kids five small meals a day rather than two big meals a day. They fed them little crabs that other people didn't consider food. Just stuff like that. And his insight was within any system. There's always some people who are flourishing Mm. when others are struggling. What are they doing and how do we get them to teach the others? And what I love about that is it's data driven. You find the people who are flourishing and then you figure out what are the levers that they're pushing. So a model like that to me deals with the complexity of the human condition is both is data driven and it treats people as adults rather than people being cheap, (laughs) being fixed. Yeah. You know, there's a writer I love called Peter block. Mm -hmm. And he, he once said, look, he, my work is to give people responsibility for their own freedom. And I love that phrase because it just speaks to how often we hand that freedom over to somebody else to decide for us, whether it's our organization, our boss, fate, whatever you want to do, but to actually say, how do you take responsibility for your own freedom? And that, positive deviancy approach just feels like that's about stepping forward to human potential. Yeah. That's a long, I don't even know sure what the question was anymore, but that's my no, answer. But, but it's <laughs> it's
0: so interesting. And I, I, that approach resonates with me so strongly. Is it back years ago, back when I was in the health and fitness world, I got really fascinated by, you know, everybody fails in this world. Right. You know, everybody joins a gym. The, the, the number one reason is always to lose weight and everybody fails, you know, mm-hmm. like almost everybody
1: and, right. and, and, as, and you you start at a place of failure and then you maintain it the whole time. Right, <laughs> you, know, right. you, you never succeed.
0: You know, and everybody's, like you said, trying to fix somebody who's broken yep. and very often saying like, OK, I, I am going to profess to you that this is right. the answer. You just be quiet. Do what I say. And when I was doing a whole bunch of research in that space, there's there was a research project that was done. My recollection is between University of Pittsburgh and maybe Tufts or something like that. I can't remember. Called the, I may butcher this. Um, I think it was the National Weight Control Registry, and their whole approach was, we're not going to study like all the failures. It's the exact same thing. They said we're going to live for people who have lost, I think it was a minimum of of sixty pounds and right. kept it off for five years or longer, right. and then we're just going to put thousands of them into a database and and same thing. Uh, what are you doing differently right. than other people? And they started to see the patterns emerge, right? You know, and. That to me is such a fascinating approach to really focus on that rather than look at every, you know, try and figure out what everyone else is doing wrong. Just like the people, like the few outliers who are somehow doing something different.
1: And, you know, that's been a really, I mean, I think it's Seth Godin, you know, who, who, you know, occasionally has a little rant about people emailing going, can you be my mentor? He's like, come on people, you don't need a mentor or at least you have mentors all around you. Yeah. Find the people who inspire you, provoke you, slightly annoy you, make you go, damn it, (laughs) why aren't I doing that? And then rather than be kind of deflated by their success or or limited by envy, go, fantastic, what does that teach me? How do I find, see what they're doing and be inspired by that? You know, everything from like Scott Stratton, doing movies early on. I mean, I, I voraciously... You know, there's that Tom Peters thing. He goes, "Look, don't don't suffer from the not invented here syndrome. Embrace stolen with glee." You know, mm. and I'm I'm forever looking at people and going, "Oh, I love how you did that." Oh, I, I mean, I walk into GLP HQ and I'm like, "Okay, I just need to redo my entire office now because this is <laughs> elegant and beautiful and spacious, and you got carpet that makes me just want to lie on the carpet and curl up because it's kind of grey and warm and beautiful." So there's all these moments where you go, uh, if, you, if you look for it, you can see these moments of inspiration where you go, I can do that. I can step into, I could try that. I could do my own spin on that.
0: Yeah. Well, And Austin Kleon, right? Still like an artist. Right, it's right. all the same stuff.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the
1: wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: So why settle? Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You brought up the term envy though. I want to actually, I want to dive back into that because I think it's such an interesting concept and my experience is that envy is always labeled as evil. Right. I saw a paper, I want to say a year or two ago. That broke out envy and said, actually, there are two types of envy. There's what I believe they call benign envy and malicious right. or benevolent envy.
1: Yeah. And I, they know, say, I can guess where you're going with this. Yeah. It sounds fascinating. They're like, yeah.
0: Depending on how you respond to envy, it can either be massively destructive and, right. and paralyzing, or it can be an astonishing source of motivation. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's I think that's great. You know, there are, there are definitely people I look to and I go – I'm never going to be quite there <laughs> because that just feels too much, too far. But gosh, why don't I try? You know, it's that whole you swing for the yeah. you swing for the stars, you hit the moon or something like that. But I do think, you know, the, the way one way I think about this is so you know, one of the things that I do to make a buck is to speak, and I love speaking. I love speaking in front of crowds. Most of the time, I'm I don't get too fretty, fretty about it. But then there are times where I'm like, "Uh, (laughs) you know, I'm going to like, yeah. yeah,
0: I'm like raising my hand. Yeah. yeah, Like I've been there before and I will
1: be there again too. (laughs) Some audiences I'm cool with, some audiences for some reason freak me out. Yeah, I get it. And and one of the things that I do as much as I can is I shake the hands of as many people as I can Uh as they come in the door. And everybody goes, oh, it's so amazing. You're a keynote speaker and you touch other people. You're amazing. And I'm like, honestly, I'm just doing this for my own sake. Because what this does is it reminds me that everybody here is just a human being mm-hmm. and they're just doing their best. Some people have had lucky breaks. Some people haven't had lucky breaks. But they're all just here to go where normal. And that's part of the balancing thing for me when I look at people who've flourished for one thing or another. and I'm like, oh, man, I've been, I've been doing my podcast for 10 years and this person's on a podcast and six months and they're the number one and they're getting blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, he's probably just a normal person. <laughs> and he's probably just tried something interesting and different. And he probably just fired a cannonball here where I've just been filing, firing bullets. Yeah. So, okay, get over yourself, Michael. Now, what can I learn from this? What, What can it provoke me to think differently about how I show up in the world?
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm mostly wired the same way. So it's, it's cool to hear you say that as well. Although I have to say my response to speaking when I don't feel comfortable in the room is the exact opposite. I just completely hide out behind <laughs> right. stage. I'm like shaking and trying not to throw up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're wired a little bit differently different there. Yeah. I don't think it's, there's a human out there who just looks around and never has this emotion of man, Right. I I would love to have like that or be that or do that. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think it's all about what does that do to and for you? Like, how does that, what's your response to that? Does that disable or empower you?
1: Well, I think one of the things to be thinking about is sitting with the question, so what do I want? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I notice is that I get triggered by some people who are doing stuff and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like... Actually, when I think about it, I don't. I don't actually want that. <laughs> I just, I've just got an initial visceral reaction to go. That's the thing I want. Yeah. And it's it's a really hard, powerful question to sit with, which is, what do I want? I mean, I. So you know, I run a small training company, and I went away to this conference a couple of years ago, and it was like, okay, you're at this level. Here's how you get to. Um, 5x that level and I came back going this is all I can see it <laughs> because you know I'm one of these kind of bright shiny oh it's a vision I've got it so I'm like I got it and I came back to my wife who's my business partner I'm like Marcel, this is fantastic I see how we're gonna to get to become a five million dollar company in the next three years we're gonna pull this lever and execute on this and blah 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 and because she's been married to me for 25 years she's like a hey, I hate it when you go away and you have time to think (laughs) because that's a nightmare for everybody else. Nightmare. But secondly, (laughs) and she's so good at this, she's like, okay, fine, that's great, Michael, but is that what you really want? And I was like, "Oh, oh, I don't know. What? Oh, I don't know if that's what I really want. Oh, I probably don't want that. Wait, oh, what do I want? I've sat with that question now for a year. What do I want with a box of crayons? And... Because like because you know, I can actually see a path where we just keep growing the revenue and yeah. we we scale up on impact a bit and scale up on vast amounts of wealth a bit. But I'm just not that. I'm just not that driven by that. So that makes me then go, okay, what what are we trying to achieve yeah. with this company? And sitting with that miserably difficult question, wonderfully provocative question, actually helps. I think get you clear on the kind of benevolent envy because once you get clear on what you want then you see people who have some version of that and you go that's what i can aspire to rather than if you're not totally clear on that that's when you go oh i just want what you've got because it looks bright and shiny and interesting
0: yeah and and sometimes even worse i i i, I would love to see you fall right which where i think it gets really dark right
1: yeah yeah yeah. I sure. think that
0: happens a lot um so as you're, as you, I'm curious now, as, as you've been sitting with this question, well, what do I want? You know, mm-hmm. like, okay, you and I are wired so, so similarly yeah. in that, and I work with my wife also Right, and I'm the like crazy <laughs> out there. Ah,
1: I just saw exactly. the coolest thing.
0: And she's like, okay, let's have a real conversation. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm going to get stuff done. So right. You just calm down. <laughs> okay.
0: So, so now you've been sitting with this yeah. question for a while now. Yeah. Where's your head at?
1: So. 20, 20 years ago, maybe maybe 15 years ago, I I did some work around the kind of personal vision. What's the impact I want to have in this world? And the, the phrase that I'm, I have never come up with a better one or a smarter one for me anyway is to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. Now, that, that resonates really well for me. I mean, I still get a little chills when I say it. I don't say it often enough uh, is what I'm just remembering here. Um but it, it has, it has grandiose ambition. I mean, how do you touch a billion people? I have, no, I have no idea. That's a seventh of the entire population of the world. But what it means is to do that, I have to get out of the way. I have to create stuff that just is able to be passed along and spread and kind of ripple out into the world. And then the possibility virus for me is connected to that piece about giving people responsibility for their own freedom because I can't make decisions for people. I don't want to make decisions for people. But I guess what I want my heart is for people to have the courage to see that they always have a choice. That moment of going, you can't control your circumstances. You control your response to that. And then to make the most courageous choice possible for them. So that's the personal mission that has, has really kind of influenced different things that I've done, different projects that I've taken on. And I think where I'm at at the moment, so we serve corporations mostly at the moment with Box of Crayons. What's clear for me now is I've got to kind of pull myself away from the focus on the corporate work. There's other people who can come in and do run that part of the the right. business.
0: So not shut it down, but just you personally exactly. start to just shift me your focus. Didn't shift right. my
1: focus. And my task this year is to find disruptors that inspire me. So I, so I have this, um, I have this wonderful mastermind group, uh, my brain trust as we call ourselves. And we've had this luxury, we've been together for as a little group for 10 years, there's six of us. So, uh, Jen Loudon, Mark Silver, Eric Klein, Michelle Lisenberry Christensen, and Molly Gordon. And so we now all know each other so, so well. (laughs) It's fantastic and annoying because they're like, yeah, you can't pull that one on us. We know exactly what you're doing here. And so we did our annual retreat back in March. And the thing that they helped me get clear on is I want Box of Crayons to be a disruptive force for good. That feels good to me. That feels interesting to me. But I don't know what disruption means Hmm. and i don't want to just grab the first thing so at the moment i feel like i'm back to that firing bullets metaphor yeah it's like a i I need to fire some bullets to go all right what 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 is interesting in disruption where could i play and where could i be most useful i mean it's it's so interesting as soon as i said that all sorts of interesting education people started showing up you know connections to people here me it's just like this little wave of people doing cool stuff and they And I have, you know, I was a teacher briefly myself. I have three grandparents who were teachers. I have a brother who was a teacher. I'm like, oh, I'm basically a teacher when all we do is we, as are you. So part of me is drawn to that, that, but I'm trying not to be suckered into thinking that the first thing that shows up is necessarily the thing. So it's, it's the title of your book. It's like uncertainty. It's like when you're able to sit with the ambiguity, the longer you can sit there...
0: The better the stuff comes. Yeah. Well,
1: the more the more you give the chance for the right. real thing to emerge. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to sit with the ambiguity and, and hope something emerges.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful. Um, it's so powerful also just that you're aware... It's like you have the you have this meta capability of sort of zooming and the understanding that this is actually where you are. Right. You know, and that it's not comfortable and that's okay. And in fact, that's the gateway right. to the answers I'm really looking for. Because the stuff that's coming up immediately
1: mm, yeah. it's I mean, decent, it's, but it's, it's, it's probably not it's it. seductive. Yeah. <laughs> because part of me is like, Oh, this is cool. I right. not and I'm not ignoring it. I'm gonna I'm talking to people, but my job is to explore yeah. at this stage. Um, Uh, Because I'm easily seduced by the bright, shiny object thing that shows up, and I'm just, I've just learned, (laughs) you know, just sit with it for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I love that. Two things really jump out at me, also, and this is a little freaky. So, just in the last year, because I've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of work on, you know, like what's my. Why Mm -hmm. as well. And the two words that I keep landing on are inspire possibility. Oh, beautiful. Which is, you know, a more ambiguous version of, you know, infect a billion people with a possibility of us. But, but I, same thing. And when I, when I think about what we're actually doing with the project, right, fundamentally, you know, we do create courses and stuff like that and events which are designed to actually hold people's hands and introduce them to process. But, I don't think that's actually the thing that stops people. Right. My, my increasing experience, I'm curious what you think about this too, is that the real barrier in people's lives is that they just don't believe that a different state, a different way to be in the world is possible. Yeah. And until that's you actually shift that belief, you can have all the process in the world. You can read all the books in the world, go to all the courses, all the trainings, all the events. Mm-hmm. But if, until you shift that belief, nothing will work because yeah. you don't, you'll never actually do anything with it.
1: do, do you know the immunity to change work? Have no. You come across that? Oh. So let me talk about that briefly because okay. I love this stuff. So this is uh this is a book that came out maybe five or six years ago from a couple of Harvard professors in kind of education psychology, Lisa Leahy and Bob Keegan. Bob Keegan's written a bunch of books, all of which are completely unreadable, until he wrote this one, which is awesome. Um, And and here's the key key idea. There's two types of change. There's technical change and there's adaptive change. Technical change, you read the book, you watch the YouTube video, you practice a bit, you get the hang of it, and you master it. Cool. Adaptive change is that stuff you keep trying to do. (laughs) You keep getting feedback on. You read all the books. Then you read more books, then you watch more videos, and for some reason you just can't crack it. Because it's not about additive and just learning a new skill. It kind of you need rewiring to kind of get yeah. to the next level. So Keegan and Leahy have this process called immunity to change, which is just so powerful at helping you figure out what's getting in your way. The way they put it is you got your foot on the accelerator, but it also feels like you got your foot on the brake. Mm but you don't even know you got your foot on the brake. So let us show you how to put the foot on the brake. So I'm going to, I'm going to take you through this process, and I'll give you an example. This is somewhat past in my life, but it, it'll bring it to life. So the starting point is you try and figure out the one big thing you're looking to change, the one big thing that will make the difference. And you know they say that if it, giving it the spousal test is a good way to do it. So if you go to your spouse and you go, hey, I was thinking I should work on this, they go, for God's sake, I've been telling you for 10 years to do that. Of course, that's what you should be doing. How is that not bleedingly obvious? And like, okay, okay. Point taken, I get it. All right. So four or five years ago, for me, the big thing was um, trying to build a team, build a, a team that worked. Now, technically, did I know how to build a team? Of course I did. I had read every book. I've actually written courses on it, taught courses on it. I still had just this lousy track record of actually having a successful team that worked. So that's the starting point. It's There's five columns. That's the first column. The second column is you list all the things that you do that are contrary to that big goal that you have set yourself. It's a humbling, by which I mean not, oh, I'm humbled to get the award, just that I'm an idiot, <laughs> embarrassed about it. So you know, for me, it would be like I work in a very small building, so nobody can physically be in the same room as me. I hire people who are in different countries, so I can never talk to them in the same time zone i don 't give people clear briefs. I fire them because they disappoint me when they they can 't read my mind about what i what I wanted i don 't give them any coaching or support i don 't set a vision for the company about what where we 're going or why we 're doing this. I just give them stuff random stuff and i it 's this long embarrassing list, and I was like oh, it's so embarrassing." Then, and this is where it starts getting interesting, you kind of flip things around. So you go, okay, imagine you are getting the opposite of that. You're doing all of those things that you're currently not doing. What would you be worried about? Okay, so I don't at the moment set a vision. What if you really were setting a clear vision for box of crayons? What would you be worried about? Well, I'd be worried that A, I wouldn't have a vision. (laughs) I wouldn't know where the hell I'm going. Secondly, um, if I created a vision, nobody would actually care or follow me, or they'd think it was a ridiculous vision. Okay, at the moment, you don't give anybody responsibility for running a project, you have to run them all yourself. What if you gave somebody full responsibility for a project? What would you be worried about? I'd be worried they'd make a mess of it, I'd be worried I'd spend my whole time holding their hands and wiping their bottom and kind of looking after them. I'd be worried I, I get no time. I have all these other worries. Right. So, and so it goes. So now this is really interesting. I'm starting to see where my worries are around the success. And then the, the one, two, three, fourth column is where you start going. So if that's what you're worried about, you are committed to avoiding that worry. So what are your competing commitments? This is all a bit abstract. So oh. I'm hoping, I, I don't set a vision for the company. Why are you worried? Why would I be worried about They wouldn't follow me or I would have no vision. So what are you committed to? I'm committed to never setting a vision for box of crayons. Uh-huh. So it's like, this is not a noble vision, uh, a competing commitment. This is an embarrassing competing commitment. Okay. I don't give people responsibility for a project. What if you did? I'd be worried. I'm spending my whole time looking after them rather than doing my own work. What are you committed to? I'm committed to always putting my own work in front of anybody else's. Now, as you go down this list, you start seeing that my espoused goal to build an awesome team, I have all these competing commitments, never set a vision, always put my own work in front of others, spend no time with anybody else, never have an awkward conversation about accountability. I'm like, well, no wonder (laughs) I'm not building a team. And so then the final column is you go, okay, what if you broke those commitments? What would happen? What's the really bad stuff that would happen? And for me, I have a really familiar pattern and be like, okay. I, I set a vision, nobody follows me, the business crumbles, my wife leaves me, the house, I get evicted, and I end up dead in the in a pavement, drinking at the age of 49. You know. So I'm like, well, no wonder I don't want to build a team, because I can see where it lands, and it ends up with me, an alcoholic in a gutter somewhere, no reading a book is going to fix that. And then the, what you start doing is you start building little tests that challenge the The underlying commitments and the assumptions huh. about the doom that's going to happen, and you start breaking the system down, yeah it's a really elegant way to suddenly uncover why you keep trying to do stuff and you never quite get there
0: yeah, that's so powerful i yeah. can't, I can't wait to dive into that yeah one. yeah it's, actually...
1: it's, it's it's outstanding um, and I'm really skeptical of this stuff because most change stuff, not worth the paper it's written on, but yeah. that stuff is resonant.
0: It, it seems like such a logical process too, when you actually think about it. It's funny, I've asked a number of people the question when somebody, there was a scenario where somebody was sort of arming themselves with a particular argument that was absolutely stopping them from doing all the things that similarly they <laughs> right. professed them to want to do. And God knows I've probably done that a million times myself, right? No, so I'm I'll not pointing my hand up as well. anybody yeah. else out. <laughs> exactly. And for some reason, I turned to them and I, and I said, well, I said, if this is your normal pattern, I'm just, I'm really curious. If you keep doing it, it's obviously serving some purpose in your life. Right. What is that purpose for you?
1: That's it. They get, you're getting to the same thing, which is yeah. what's, the, what's the deeper commitment you're getting right. to? Yeah,
0: and and I just kind of you know like we left the conversation and blew it off, and but the person didn't blow it off. Right. The person went deep into trying to answer this question, and it triggered. It set off a series of things that were really astonishing. That I I I don't think either of us saw coming, and I right. didn't entirely intend just in my question.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that I mean. That sounds a very similar experience to what this immunity yeah, change process. Uh, what's brilliant about the immunity change process is it's just got a rigor to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, I love okay, that. column five, this is what, this is what you're answering. And it's what's brilliant is it, it fools people like me. So, like, <laughs> I am really good. Because I'm a trained coach, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, yeah. at avoiding hard conversations. I'm like, I'm slippery. <laughs> it is like I can do self-deprecation. I can do pseudo deep thinking. So it sounds like I'm struggling with so something. like a
0: therapist's worst nightmare, yeah, basically. Exactly. <laughs> I'm
1: like, you just, you just try and pin me down. You're never going to catch me. And the first time I did this immunity change process, I literally spent time hiding under a blanket I'm like, <laughs> I have no idea how I'm telling you this stuff, but somehow you have tricked me <laughs> into revealing this. And what? And this, we're just 15 minutes into this conversation. What just happened? That's amazing. So that's part of what's brilliant about it is because it feels rigorous in a process, you can't trick the system. Yeah, Yeah.
0: I love that. The second thing that I want to circle back to was this notion that we started a conversation talking about you throughout the older, a good to great guy, Jim Collins, Jim Collins. Yeah. the idea of, you know, like the cannonballs and, and just like this, the small shots. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, you've built what's from the outside looking in appears to be this, you know, it's rocking and rolling. You're phenomenally yeah. successful. It's a respected company. You're a respected person in your field. And so you're, you've got the cannonball, right? Right. And at the same time, you've now hit a window where, like, it's time to actually go back.
1: Right. You know, because it's not – there's no
0: there there. And I think that's one of the big jarring things that really freaks people out is that, you know, you don't just – stop. like, at some point, you actually have to go back to that place where you don't know what's next or else you just end up going sideways and then you become miserable.
1: Yeah. Do you think that's true for everybody? I mean, I know that is true for me. I know that I'm restless and if I hit a plateau – you know, in an earlier book I wrote, I was like, the difference between good work and great work. And good work is your job descriptions, getting things done, and that's yeah. important. But great work is that next step into work that has more impact and more yeah, meaning.
0: I I don't think it's true for everybody. Yeah. I, I would like to believe it's true for yeah. everybody. because I th- And yeah, I would like to think that everybody's wired for growth and yep. everybody's wired. But I think it's also – it's probably good <laughs> that right. in a weird way – I wonder if life is easier if you're not wired that way. Because right. you can be you can come to a place of being content. Yep. Yeah. Probably with greater ease. I'm not wired that way. And maybe just, you know, it's the bias of who I surround myself with. Yeah. Most of the people that I interact with on a daily basis are not wired that way either. Right. And I wonder too, how much if you're at a place there's a really slippery slope between being wired for contentment and being wired for complacency.
1: So I think that's a really useful distinction, because I was just thinking the same. Which is, there's a way you can you can plateau, and you become complacent. Is a good word, but I think there's also something to say: Are, are you able to have the wisdom to be content, mm. rather than you know blowing up your own happiness? Yeah, totally. And and having the wisdom to discern between those is so, is so huge, so hard, and huge. so important because. I bet you there are times where I've shot myself in the foot going, ah, this is I'm too happy." we can't carry on like this, you know, screw it up somehow, you know, make it difficult for yourself because I like the struggle. Yeah. And so part of it is around that piece around the understanding your own how your own patterns collude in in making your life more miserable than it needs to be and just yeah. I know I you know I I know I have you know, restless blow things up syndrome so i have so many people around me going focus michael no focus no michael focus no michael focus no okay go off and do that in a little sandbox you can do that right but don't don't, don't leave, leave this I alone don't, okay. don't blow away. Yeah, no, yeah. Stop. stop stop meddling <laughs> right
0: <laughs> yeah i i mean it's yeah, i so agree with that it's there are definitely times i i felt that way as well and and from the outside in too i think sometimes there are times where we blow things up just because we're getting mm-hmm. to a point where it feels too good and we're not comfortable feeling that good. Yeah. And I think the opposite is also true. There are times where we should blow stuff up, but we're, we we don't agree. because we're comfortable.
1: It's a bit like buying low and selling high. Yeah. You know, you take your best guess. But I think what's important is you're you're mindful about the choice that you're yeah. making and you go, I may be wrong. Because you can never be right all the time, but I may be wrong. But this is the gamble I'm going to take, and yeah. I'm going into it eyes wide open.
0: Yeah, being intentional, I think, is the key. Yeah, and again, like you said, that absolutely doesn't mean that you can choose right.
1: <laughs> <I wish laughs> it did,
0: man. That would be so much. Mis- <laughs> <be so laughs> so like, yeah, again, being intentional—that means I get the like, <laughs> yeah, I, I choose right. I get, I right? get to win. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, that would be so cool. <laughs> Sadly,
1: it's not Sadly the, not, not yeah. the
0: reality. I want to make sure that we squeeze You and I can just jam on this stuff for a long time. Yeah, exactly, We're
1: going Tim Ferriss on people. We're just going to have a <laughs> nine hour podcast. Here. <laughs>
0: Let's do it. Your latest work. You've got a book out on questions.
1: I have. It's called The Coaching Habit. You know, I wrote it for, for the really thinking about the busy manager person and organization trying to do their best, committed to, they like their work. They like their team, but I kind of feeling a bit overwhelmed trying to do too much. And that whole piece around trying to do more great work rather than just trying to get the good work on. So yeah, it's got to of focus on seven essential questions and kind of the mechanisms of building making them a habit.
0: Yeah. I, one of the things I love about the approach also is that you take, you know, like the quote coaching. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? This is really, let's let's just break it down. Let's demystify it. Let's deconstruction. Right. Let's unfancify it. Yeah. And you know what? You could accomplish a huge percentage of what the entire process is about if you just know seven questions.
1: <laughs> so, so Peter Block, who's this guy I love, is a role model for me, an intellectual role model. And one of, probably the peak, one of the peak moments of my professional career is he wrote a blurb for my very first book. So excited because I was like, I was even less known than I am now. So complete nobody, but somehow, because he's a grumpy old guy, somehow you got him in a good mood. And he wrote this little blurb for this first book called, and he says, look, coaching is not a profession. It's a way of being with each other. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know I believed that. But that's the thing. It's just like every, I'm not really trying to create coaches. I just want people to be a bit more coach-like in the way they show up and they interact with people, which is fundamentally it's just can you just stay curious just a little bit longer and a rush to advice and action just a little more slowly and it's going to make such a big difference for everybody involved
0: yeah i i i love that it's like you're all coaches yeah you don't know it right but you all have the ability in some way shape or form in like a child's life or a friend's life right. and everybody every day it's not about sitting down saying let's have a session it's just about when you interact with everybody every day on any level, right. you have an opportunity to make a difference. And very often yeah, the biggest yeah. part of that is not by saying this is what you should do, but by doing the exact opposite.
1: I did a podcast with a guy yesterday and he was like, oh, let me tell you the story. Cause you know, I read your book and, I, and my daughter came into the bathroom this, this morning, six year old, and she's crying. And he's like, oh, parent, you know, responsive, but he's like, okay, rather than comfort her i'm just gonna ask her how she's doing so ask the kind of question you know what's on your mind what are you she's like oh i want to i, I want to wear short sleeves not long sleeves and he's like okay but then you know the second question in the book and i, I boldly go it's the best coaching question in the right. world and it's simply and what else because the first answer is never the only answer so because i oh, remember that He goes, and what else it's like I really want summer to be here. And I was like, "Oh, I know." And then, and then he went, "Okay, God, that's so good." But he's gonna—I'll ask one more time. And what else? And then she told him the real thing, which he—he he kept private to you know for her yeah, privacy. Yes. But he was like, "It—it it completely changed everything. I didn't have to fix anything. She just needed to to speak out loud this final thing." And uh, honestly, best moment of yesterday. Him <laughs> telling me the story of just how that three-minute interaction with his daughter. Shifted from his normal parenting style just to a, a different experience.
0: Yeah. I, it's so powerful to just think. I mean, it's funny, like I, the first two questions, which you just shared, Yeah. You know, like what's on your mind and, and tell me, yeah. you know, like what else. If you just asked those two questions, you right. know, like if you just found opportunities to yeah. continually ask those, I mean, what an, like a stunning difference. Right. How would that change your, your daily experience and how would that potentially right. change your, Relationships with others, and how might it help them in a way where you thought you were being really helpful before, yeah. but you really, that's not what they needed?
1: Yeah. That word helpful is a really interesting one yeah. because, you know, we, so many of us, and I'm pretty much sure there's 100% compliance for people listening to this podcast. Uh, helpful people, they have good hearts, they want to be, they want to try and assist the people around them. But so often, sometimes there's a place for giving advice. It's just a lot less than people think, you know, if you can be present, if you can ask a question, if you can really hear their answer, if you can help them speak what's going on for them, what's in their heart and in their head, that can be so much more useful than you trying to fix the first thing that they happen to mention, not least because the first thing is never the thing. (laughs) It's just the first thing that happens to come up.
0: Yeah. I I wonder often if, you know, um, we're really looking to be expressed, not fixed, Right. You know, and that's the opportunity that we're taking by trying to fix all the time.
1: Well, I think that's, yeah. And the thing that, as I've been thinking about this, part of it's also just uh, connecting back to uncertainty. Because when you're giving somebody advice, it's a far more comfortable place to be. Mm, true. Right? I'm in control of the conversation. Man. I'm the smart one in the conversation. I know where this is going. I'm adding value in inverted commas. So you just feel good about yourself, even though your advice is probably wrong, or at least not very good, and it's probably not going to be listened to, and it's probably not going to be acted upon. At least you're, you at least you're clear about what's happening. When you, when you ask the question, you step into a place of more ambiguity. You know, was that a good question? Was it the right question? What are they going to say? <laughs> Will I know how to handle what they're about to say? What if they come with some crazy answer that I don't know what to say about? Oh, I don't even have control of the conversation anymore. Now they have control of the conversation. It's a harder place to sit. But to what we said before and what you say in your book, you know, that place of being able to sit with ambiguity can serve you and others better.
0: Yeah. Um that's that's one of those things you just threw out also really just like hit me, which is that like, what if I ask the question and then they say what's on their mind and I don't have I don't know how to respond. Right. Like don't I, like I don't know what to do next. Right. And that's for somebody who's genuinely wired to help also, that's, that's like a terrifying thought. It is,
1: right. <laughs> it totally is. And of course, you're able to say, you know, wow. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to know what to do. You can just sit there going, wow, right. that's, I, I wouldn't even know what to do.
0: And I think a lot of that, that but that's, I think, a lot of the thing that helps. Right. It's just, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm here with you.
1: Exactly. Like, that's
0: an, that is enough. I,
1: I feel the enormity yeah. of whatever this thing is, and I get it. Yeah. You know, and they're like, you get me. That, yeah. that I just wanted to be heard. I wanted to be expressed. Thank yeah. you.
0: I think that's huge. Yeah. I love that. There's also an interesting backstory with this book,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, this is the book that almost killed me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it has to be said that, because I know a, a bunch of people who listen to this are, are writers, and are, probably have probably had books published or thinking about trying to publish a book and the like. And so this is my my fifth book. So honestly, I was like, I know how to write books now. I'm pretty good at it. You know, I've got four books. None of them were awful to write. I mean, they're, they're all awful in their way. You know, you start off and you think you've got an idea and then you write this first draft and it's terrible. And you're like, that's okay. I read somewhere the first drafts are always terrible. So then you write a second draft, that's terrible as well. You're like, oh, that's worrying. And fourth draft, it's still pretty bad, but you're getting better at it. But finally you get there. This book, I, I wrote four versions of this book before I wrote a fifth version that worked. And part of it was the misery of trying to work with my publisher. So I had a, I, for Do More Great Work, I had a fancy New York publisher, and they did a nice job of it. And they're, like, keen to get me to write my next book, and I'm keen to get them to publish my next book. So I pitched it to them, and they're like, Hmm, I'm mm, 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 not sure so about that. And I went, okay. And then uh, I, I hired an agent, and that was a bad mistake as well. It didn't work at all. Another messy time. But What I found, Jonathan, is that at a certain point, I completely lost the plot. Mm. (laughs) Because the publisher was going, So we love it, (laughs) but we don't love it. We love you, but we don't really love it. So we don't know what the book is you should write, but it's whatever, it's not this. So I was then in this position of going, okay, why I try and write the book that I think that they want to read, even though they don't know what it is, and even though they don't really publish business books, which is what I'm trying to write. So I just was, I was just lost, you know, I was wandering in the wilderness, writing bad, ver- bad books. And I finally, I had this moment of realizing what was happening because I have this, I get kind of sucked into trying to please authority. It's one of my little hooks. And I was like, oh, pfft, done it again. <laughs> so uh, in December, what is it? 2014. I was like, okay, I've got back to the vision of what this book is about. And I kind of gave them an ultimatum. I'm like, at this stage, I'm past really minding what your decision is but it's either a yes or a no you got to let me know and they were like it's a no and i'm like well how dare you <laughs> don't you know who i am and then i was like okay well that's fine and i rolled up my sleeves and i'm like okay what now and i remember us going for a walk around here and talking about it yeah. about this time do i go do i try and find another publisher because you know i know enough people to get an introduction to an agent or a publisher to make something happen but i was like no you know what i'm going to self-publish it and I self-published a couple of books before, but this time I was like, okay, why would it be to self-publish as a professional rather than as an amateur? Because I think it's it's relatively easy to self-publish as an amateur now. You know, there's so many good things. You can get a PDF, upload it, design a cover. Yeah. You're going to get an okay book through Amazon or any of the other kind of publishing things. But I was like, we're going to self-publish it. And honestly, totally fantastic Experience. Such a good experience. I'm 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 now kind of frothing at the mouth. Self-publish self-publish everybody. Everybody. Yeah, it's really good.
0: Yeah, and, and it's a beautiful book. And thank you. Well designed, beautifully edited. And I think that's one of the big things is that there like you said, the you know, the world is flattened when it comes to publishing. Mm-hmm. we all have access. We can all we all have, you know, keyboards and computers and and whatever wordpressers you want and and we can all easily save it as a pdf and upload it and yep. basically pay a little bit of money and get it you know listed as a book for sale. And at the same time because of that there the volume of stuff that's a quote book for sale now is
1: vast, yeah.
0: absolutely vast, vast and which mediocre. makes it right, <laughs> which makes it that much more important that if you're going to take this path, yeah, you treat it like a professional and you're like you know, I need to Same way it would be if I was working with a publisher, I need an editor, I need a copy editor, I need a designer, you know, and we need somebody and really say like this book is going to be indistinguishable from something that would be put out. And that I think is a huge difference maker, especially when you're self-publishing in the nonfiction and prescriptive nonfiction world. Fiction world, I think the, the expectations are still really high also, but at least ebooks in the fiction world right. tend to take off a lot more easily. For sure. Yeah. You know, so if you have a killer story, people are more forgiving. Whereas in the the nonfiction and prescriptive right. nonfiction, it's because it's so it just catches fire, so it's so much harder to have that catch fire. Yeah. In the ebook form, at least. It's you really have to differentiate yourself.
1: I mean it's funny, we were talking about that immunity to change piece and like yeah. building a team. <laughs> Terrible. I was not building a team. And so, you know, that's this is me. I actually built a fantastic team. I actually asked for help. And this goes against my my instincts because every part of me, I've got two things. One is I can do everything, I've got that (laughs) in my head. And secondly, I'm cheap. (laughs) So it's a a terrible combination. I'm like, huh, I could hire somebody to build a space shuttle, but, you know, I could probably figure it (laughs) out. How hard is it to build a space shuttle? So, you know, I asked Seth Godin and he introduced me to his editor, Catherine, fantastic, just brilliant job. I did some research and found a Canadian award-winning designer and I hired him. I'm like, this is an award-winning designer, but I'm like, you know what? My book's going to deserve an award-winning. And then I met, and this was really a critical piece for us. There's a company called Page Two Strategies. They're based out in Vancouver. They're two people from the publishing world who've set up to help people self-publish as professionals. That's the phrase I've got in my own head. And what they did was helped navigate... The broader field so if you're looking to go beyond just getting the book on Amazon but you want to think about distribution and you want to think about sales cycles and you want to think about the audiobook that goes with the e-book you right. want to think about the the launch that's where the air expertise comes in and so for me it was just such a pleasure to go wow I've got this highly functioning team of people who are all experts in their own way I'm actually trusting them <laughs> which is like an amazing thing to watch myself do And now I have this book where I go, there's not a single piece of this book that I don't love. I love it. Mm. I just, and I don't hate it (laughs) because that's what sometimes happens by the time you finally get to the end of your book. You're like, honestly, (laughs) I never want to see this book again. The glimmer of love I had for this book has been crushed by the publishing process, but that hasn't happened to me with this book. I love it. So I just want to reiterate your point, which is, you know, if you want to self-publish and if you're in that kind of, particularly in that nonfiction piece you wanna ask yourself, Am I doing this as an amateur or as a professional? And they're both good answers. You just wanna be clear what you're up for because if you're gonna you know, there's that what is that quote? It's like I think it was Napoleon. He said, Look, if you're gonna take Rome, take Rome. You know, it's like cannonballs. If you're gonna fire a cannonball, fire a cannonball. And that's what it felt like we did with this book is we we fired a cannonball on the self publishing piece and it and it's that was just such a good thing.
0: Yeah, I yeah. love it. It's so cool to see. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, especially after like I remember a conversation we had feels like a couple of years ago yeah. going back where you were like, you
1: know, yeah, I'm like in the weeds oh, big time. Weeds and... I was dreaming of being in the weeds. <laughs> I was in the grate under the sewer that yeah. leads to the, the trickle that leads to the weeds. Right.
0: And to see that, you know, you actually you found your way out yeah. and that you actually stuck to something that was like you felt like this is this is the thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't really care if somebody else validates it externally and says it fits with the thing that they want to put into the world. Right this is the thing that, that matters to me and that I want to put into the world and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it at an astonishing level. And that's, so it's so cool to actually see it out in the world and, and then to read it and realize this right. is awesome. And then just see it make a really big difference.
1: Yeah. You can't be fooled by thinking that people actually know. It's so easy to hand authority to other Man. people. So, I'd gone through this whole process, and I and was on track with this wonderful piece. And then this other publishing house, associated with a big management association, they got they heard about it, they got interested, and they're like, "Yeah, it sounds fantastic." I was like, "Oh wow, that'd be cool publishing through them." I get they got a huge database, blah blah blah, worth a conversation. So I send it to this uh, person. who goes, "Great, I'm the head of the editing unit." I send it to one of my editors. I get this feedback going, you know, the tone's not very good and the structure's not very good and I'm really not sure you've got enough substance here, so we might be interested, but it would need a complete rewrite. And I was like, that's hilarious because I have been through all that and you have no idea how pleasurable it is to hear this and just go, dear Bob, you know, honestly, <laughs> I think the structure's fantastic, I think the tone is spot on and I'm just delighted with how this book is going, so I guess we won't be working together. Send. <laughs> Zip. I'm not entertaining the moment of doubt because I've got so clear on what what actually I want for this.
0: I love that; it's so cool. So I think we have to kind of come full circle, <laughs> or else we're out, hours, right, yeah. <laughs> into the evening hours. So, um, since the name of this, this is Good Life Project, so if I offer that phrase out to you to live a good life, what comes up?
1: I would say that you know that question we asked about what do you want. It's about answering that. What do you want? because as soon as you land on that at a truly deep way you know this at a heartfelt way this is what i want that's what open that's what gives you permission to pursue that and a less good life is when you haven't got clear on what you want yet so you're chasing rabbits that aren't the rabbits for you
0: hey thanks so much for listening We love sharing real unscripted conversations and ideas that matter. And if you enjoy that too, and if you enjoy what we're up to, I'd be so grateful if you would take just a few seconds and rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get the word out. You can actually do that now right from the podcast app on your phone. If you have an iPhone, you just click on the reviews tab and take a few seconds and jam over there. And if you haven't yet subscribed while you're there, then make sure you hit the subscribe button while you're at it. And then you'll be sure to never miss out on any of our incredible guests or conversations or riffs. And for those of you, our awesome community who are on other platforms, any love that you might be able to offer sharing our message would just be so appreciated. Until next time, this is Jonathan Fields signing off for Good Life Project.